Hi, this is Queen Gantis, host of Behind the Pen. You're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. the pen. I'm your host Karina Gantas. I'm an award-winning author of 14 books, an award-winning filmmaker. I'm a podcaster, a YouTuber, a booktuber. I um, run uh, Author Assist which helps authors with their marketing and promotion. I also am the host of the Author Assist show on the Artist First Radio Network and of course you are here for Behind the Pen. As you know, because I know you're regular listeners or watchers, um, behind the pen is for creatives that use a pen. You could be an illustrator, a writer, a musician, a tattooist, a artist, whoever holds a pen. So today my guest is uh, Jessie Renner Gibbs and she has got one hell of a story to tell us. Welcome to the show, Jessie. Hello, thank you for having me on. No, it's my pleasure. Um, I was uh, stoked with your enthusiasm to actually be on the show, so I couldn't. Oh, thank to, you. Couldn't wait to chat with you. Um, now we've only been talking off camera for a couple of minutes, and Jess's story is is uh, you couldn't make it up. Basically, it it is like a a blockbuster film. Um, and she's written uh, her memoir, uh, which is about her life. And um, we're just going to have to start from the beginning. I mean, where where are you from originally? Um, I'm not going to ask if you had any artistic uh, talent with anything else, because this episode is a bit different from the normal um how did you begin writing and everything? This, this is, you've written your book, you don't want to write anymore, but you needed to get that story out. So we want to talk about that story. Um, let's start from the beginning, whenever you're ready, Jesse. I was born in Rota, Spain, which is a teeny tiny little military town in Rota, Spain, um, to a very... A troubled young woman um, and she promptly tried to give me up for adoption and then realized that she could get out of the military if she had a baby so she decided to keep me moved back to uh, Vashon Island Washington which is just on the other side of Seattle or just on the other side of the water from Seattle and she lived out here until I was two when she got married moved to Canada took me with her lots of drama and trauma in that particular situation. Eventually she came home within about six months and moved back in with her parents. Her parents, my grandparents, who absolutely love me, um, of course, you know, the first grandbaby, like big sparkles, uh, and they did everything in their power and ended up getting custody of me. They basically said, yes, we will, we will take care of your child, but you have to give us full custody. And so my mother wrote off, wrote, signed a paperwork and 
off she went into the wilderness to go and find herself. Um, she landed in North Carolina and uh, promptly started contacting her father, my grandfather, and asking for custody of me. Like, please, please, daddy, can I have my daughter back? And my grandpa said yes and oh, sent no. me to live with her and her new husband. Her new husband's not a good guy. Her new husband, big guy, Marine Staff Sergeant, uh, likes little girls, really liked me. I was the first and only daughter in the family for a really long time. Um, and then my mother refused to give me back. She turned off the phone. She tore up letters and sent them back to my grandparents. Um, she knew finally, what was going my on. grandmother was like, she knew what absolutely. was going on with him. Absolutely. She just turned a blind eye. She, she donated me. She donated me oh. to keep her husband satisfied. Like oh. she would literally come into the room with her husband to drop him off so that she could go to bed. It was creepy. Oh, gosh. Um, how old so were you, when Lucy, then? I was five, five six, years old, five and six. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, and even my my siblings would come and climb into bed with me to feel safe because you know big scary monsters in their room. Um, but unless they were in bed with me, uh, my stepfather would try to come into bed with me. Um, so that went on for about a year and a half until my grandmother finally got, got a hold of me and I was able to be like, you need to come get me. Bad things are happening. And did then- Did you tell her? Did you, my did you tell mom, her what had happened? You were told- She flew out to visit. She flew, yes, she flew out to visit and then I gave her the 411, like here's the things that are happening. I don't think this is okay. And her response was, she basically said, okay, we're going to get you out. Here's the plan to get you out. And we had to make a plan because neither of my parents are safe people. They were, there's no way that if she said, well, I'm taking my granddaughter, that that would happen, there would be violence. So since she had custody of me, she took me to school. She had all the legal documents. She took me to school to drop me off. And then we literally told the teacher, please don't you know, don't call anybody. We have legal custody of Jesse and we're taking her home and picked her, picked me up and took me back to Washington state. And I was out here for about a year back in calm, settling my life in, in getting my world back together, back in school at a regular schooling, getting me into counseling. How old were you now? Uh, six and a half, almost seven. Six and a half, almost seven, when you finally got counselling and you were trying to get you. How did, before you carry on, I mean, how did your grandfather think? How did he treat you when you got back? Because it was because of him listening to his daughter, begging to have his, her child back after it, him knowing that she wasn't a good mother and uh, there was no way she was going to change. She, she, it weren't drugs, was it? It was just her, her personality, who she was, just evil. Yeah, 
absolute narcissist, absolutely narcissistic, charismatic narcissist to the best of my knowledge. Um, there's a very distinct possibility that she has disassociative identity disorder too. Um, but of course she's never seen a doctor. It's she wouldn't, she wouldn't one of the problems you. when you have, yeah. of course yeah. not. She, she is under the impression that because she is pro-life and because she was part of a national organization called Women Exploited by Abortion or WEBA, um, that doctors at all are out to get her and her children and to kill her. So we didn't go to the hospital for anything, broken bones, wow. busted, like my, my little sister, viciously, yes, in, in every possible way you can imagine. And you're not the only child, I've heard you say about siblings, is this from um, her marriage with the, uh, the, the guy, or is, well, were they his children before they got married, or she had them with him? She had them with him. So there's me. I'm the only stepchild. And then wow. there's four boys and then three girls after that. Four boys and three girls? Yes. Oh, she... my gosh. She's making a colony. <laughs> how how yes. were they? Because, because they were blood, how were they treated by both parents? Just as bad. Just as bad. The only thing, um, to to my knowledge, at, at this time, to my knowledge, I'm the only one that was ever sexually. Um, so he left his girls alone. He left his girls alone. They weren't but safe they from were from other people necessarily, yeah. but within the family, they were safe. Yeah, it's a lot. It is a lot. Wow. Can so you your story then. I was back with my grandparents, and my mother got involved with WEBA, um, got involved with the, she became the national director of WEBA, and then, um, because she's a great storyteller, she's a fantastic oh, storyteller, and my grandfather likes to say, um, he goes, uh, I'm a fisherman, he's a fisherman, and he's like, it's my fault. Uh, that she's like that because I like to tell good fish stories. And that's what Dolores does is she tells a good fish story. Um, she just doesn't know when to, you know, he likes to say I would have brought it home, but it fell off the bumper. So the fish stories run in the family. I mean, there's this, you've got amazing grandparents who love you to bits, who understand what's going on and are protecting you and have got custody of you. How did they end up with a daughter so, I'm going to keep using that word because there's only one word for it and that's being evil. I mean, how did they end up from being so nice people to having a daughter like that? I know a lot of it is uh, mental problems, but it's also yes. how they're brought up as well, though. So um, Dolores has three siblings. They're all older than her. So she's the baby of the family, um, kind of one of those. They thought they were done, and here comes Loris. Yeah. And um, my grandfather was in the Navy well into her teenage years. So he wasn't necessarily a part of her life. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Grandma uh, ran a very strict, like a tight ship. Like things were the way that they were. But they mm -hmm. started trying to get Dolores into counseling when she was little, little. Like, she was six years old and grandma told the story that she came into the kitchen talking about how she was watching leave it to beaver and leave it to beaver was getting beaten by his mother with a stick 
which never happens. That's not a leave it to beaver kind of storyline. Um, but that's what she when thought. She started so they making up and your grandmother saw it and she knew there was something not quite right. And that was when she yeah. was six years old, huh? That's when she was six. And she'd always, um, the the family says that if, if she could tell, why, why tell the truth when a lie will suffice? Because she really will. She will lie just for the experience of what it's going to do to you. It doesn't yeah. matter if it's going to make anything better for her at all. Yeah. She's just curious what it's going to do to you. Such a, like you said, a narcissist is uh, yes. lying and, and um, doing it to, to cause pain to others. Um, wow. Okay, so we, we're, um, we're with the grandparents now. So I'm with the grandparents. So my mother met with the uh, national director of WEBA, and the two of them became fast friends very, very quickly. And um, Mary Sue, her name's Mary Sue, and Dolores, my mother, um, became very close. And Dolores told her all the stories about how awful grandma and grandpa were. And so, and she believed them. Uh, she's, they're awful. They made me get an abortion. They made me do all these things. La, la, la. Um, and so convinced her to spend all of the last of her monies. And the two of them flew out to Washington state and tracked me for three days, followed the bus to school, followed the bus home, followed the bus to school, followed the bus home. And every day, um, grandma and grandpa would take a walk. Now at this time we were living in Kent, which is here in the Seattle area and it was a little teeny tiny retirement community and little little cute little trailer and so they every day they would walk from their trailer down to the end of the lane and pick up the mail and it was their you know way to get away from having a crazy seven-year-old child who was hyperactive in this tiny little trailer and so they go for a nice little walk by the time they get back there's a half a dozen cop cars and I was missing so what happened was Mary Sue knocks on the door and she says, come with me quickly. Your mommy's in the car. And I was seven and I looked at her and I said, no, you're not supposed to go with strangers. And she goes, you're a very good girl. And she went, she turned around, walked away. <laughs> and I was like, hey, I did the thing. This is what you do. When I was so proud of myself. This is what you do. And then I was like, wait a minute. I should probably call somebody. So I go to the phone to call one of the aunties who lived very close by. And by the time I got to the phone, my mother, all five, ten of her, had stormed into the room, grabbed me by one arm, and I was in my dress-up clothes in December, grabbed me by one arm, dragged me kicking and screaming across the parking lot and into the back of a rental car where she had brought my one-year-old little brother with her because she was still nursing and claimed that that needed to be super high top priority. So she brought a baby with her to commit a felony kidnapping. So we drove three and a half, almost four hours until we crossed state lines. Um, and once we reached the Portland area, she called and to tell my grandmother that I was alive and that no, she was never going to see her again. And we went and stayed at a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend who was part of Weba um, at their house. A lovely, lovely, lovely lady named Esther who took care of us and, and let us stay in her home. 
And the next morning, they dressed me up as a little boy. And I flew from Washington to Atlanta. And in the Atlanta airport, we changed clothes. Mama was wearing a wig and sunglasses and carrying the baby. And then Mary Sue went home to Michigan and we got lost in the Atlanta airport and then took a plane home to North Carolina. And that's where the FBI lost us. So two days later, the cops showed up and arrested my mother. They dropped me out the back window to a neighbor lady because apparently the entire neighborhood was in on this. And the neighbor lady hid me in her closet while the cops were there. Um, and then I was in hiding for almost two years. During the time that I was in hiding, I lost my memory. I lost um, most of my memory. Let's, let's just step back a second. Um, yeah. You said you were in hiding. Who was hiding you? There was this random group of people that I would just go to this house and stay for a couple of months. And then I'm over at this house staying for a couple of months. With Sometimes your mom? My... No, just me. So were they protecting you or were they helping your mother? They were helping my mother. A cult. A little weird, a little surreal, a little interesting how she got that amount of people who are willing to break the law and hide a child Two from years. her legal guardians. Two years. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have the documents where finally a judge, and so the judge in, so during those two years, they were going to court in North Carolina, they were going to court in Washington State. The judge in North Carolina said, Jessie should go back to her paternal grandparent, her, her maternal grandparents, and Donna should not have custody of any of her children ever. If I had, if I had the ability, I would make sure she didn't have any more kids. Um, and and then the judge in Washington State said Jesse gets to stay with her grandparents. Then another judge in North Carolina literally looked at the paperwork with all of these different places that said that no, 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 Jesse needs to be with her, her her grandparents. The final judge literally looked at the paperwork and said in the court documents, I don't care. I don't care. Um, I think that Jesse should be with her mom and she's been moved around long enough. So Dolores gets to keep her. So, so you're in hiding for two years, but the judges and everyone knew that you were alive. They knew that you were around. They just didn't know where you were. Didn't know where I was. And what did she say about it? Did she say that you'd gone missing, you'd run away? She must have she, lied about it, of course. She had a different story for anybody that would ask. And then, of course, in the midst of all of this, she's also training me. So in the midst of this, one of the families I stayed with, very sweet family that had a big Rottweiler dog. But one of the families that I stayed with um, prayed over me to, quote unquote, receive the Holy Spirit. I was very excited about this. This was a big deal in their church. And they prayed over me that night. I fell asleep. When I woke up the next morning, I had lost all but two of my memories. Like, I had one memory of my grandmother ever, and it was way out here. Like, I didn't remember my grandparents. I, I remembered the kidnapping, and I was a bad, bad man. 
And that's the only two things that I remembered until I was well into my teen years. Did they did they give you something that night to do that? You said they were praying over you and, and you were uh, taking it all in and thinking that this is a good thing. But did do you think something, do you think they drugged you? Do you think uh, something happened that night to make you? I mean, yes, it can be psychological, but mm. when you're in such high spirits that, day because of what was going on and you were happy about it to go to sleep and wake up with no memories with no memories i i, I can't i can understand about blocking um when something bad happens but mm -hmm. for that to happen when you had such a good day before it just doesn't doesn't register right it doesn't click right it doesn't feel like it 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 doesn't happen in the right order. I feel like my mind basically shut down to protect me because if I knew my grandparents were out there looking for me, I couldn't function in the world that I was living in. Um, but the two memories that I retained, one was not a safe person, kept me safe, kept me away from him, kept me from ever being touched again. Um, and then... He treated me like his girlfriend the rest of the time that I was growing up, but he never touched me again. And then um, for Dolores, I knew that she had kidnapped me from somewhere that I felt safe. And I did not feel safe with her. So both of those things kept me from really trusting my mother and also kept me from being in a dangerous situation. So whatever that looks like like i have i have pondered that question in a myriad of different ways um now what's interesting is one of my siblings when i left home fast forward years and years later another huge trauma happened and i ended up leaving home and it was so traumatic to my youngest brother that he actually lost a chunk of his memory he lost almost five years of his memories like he doesn't remember from eight years old to 12. What happened? What happened to make him lose his memory? What was that uh, traumatic uh, a thing that made you run away? What happened? So I was from seven until the time that I left home at 19, I was mom. Um, my mother basically stayed in bed. That was her job as she stayed in bed and she talked on the phone and she went to speaking engagements for Weba and that's all she did. Um, wow. When she was home, the beatings would commence, the emotional abuse would commence, the verbal abuse would commence. Um, so we were real happy if she was out of the house. Uh, that being said, if she was out of the house, my, my abuser was more, um, more dangerous. Like I was in a, a much higher risk, risk than I would be. There because she wasn't exactly because she wasn't there so six dozen one half of the other so my babyest brother i actually was there when he was born i was one of the first people to hold him um my little sister i actually delivered her i was the one who would the babies like little babies like from the time i was like eight and nine years old i would have the babies in bed with me and then they would wake up at night and then I would get up, change their diapers, take them to mama, them. let her nurse, mm -hmm. take the baby back, burp the baby, change the diaper again. Then I would go back to bed with the baby. Like this was from the time I was little, little, I was wow. taking care of it. So 
when I left home at 19, so I was working at a radio station and I decided to leave home because it had given me a spanking at a week before my 19th birthday for having a bad attitude. He had given me a spanking and my oldest brother a spanking who was 14. Measured beating is more like it. But at that point, I realized I'm a grown up now. I'm grown up now. I don't have to, I don't have to put up with this. Also, of all the things that you've done that I believe are right, because you've told me they're right. I know that this is wrong. You are spanking an adult. This is wrong. I'm leaving. So I packed up to leave. Well, they showed up at the radio station where I was working and accosted me there. And it was my last day of work because Mama had decided that I needed to come home because I was getting too worldly and I wasn't worshiping her as much as I needed to. And so I needed to come home and get my heart right with the Lord. So I was going to quit my job and come home to be a stay-at-home big sister. So it was my last day at work. They show up, spend, I don't know, three and a half hours screaming at me. And then I went home. So old mama to go home. Mama left. Ask me, are you pregnant? No. He asked me, are you on drugs? I said, no. Did you really think that I would stay? Did you think that I would stay after all of this? That this would be, did you not think that I would be leaving at some point? Like, we're, anyway, I was very furious. Drove home. We drove home. By the time we got home, Mama was in her room. There was a note on the door from my third youngest brother. And it said, Sissy, we're really sorry. We promised to clean the house if you'll stay. So while I was gone in the hour that she had to reassess her life and figure out how she had gotten so far that her daughter was leaving home to never come home again. She went home and convinced all of my siblings that it was their fault that I was leaving. So I went upstairs and sat down. And my baby sister, my babyest brother came in and he sat down next to me and he's sobbing. And he puts his arms around me and he's like, sissy, don't you... Don't you love me anymore? I was like, first of all, buddy, of course. And he was seven. It's really interesting juxtaposition of that age. So he was seven. And I'm like, buddy, I love you more than anything in the whole world. What in the world? Where, where did you hear this? And he looks up at me with his big blue eyes. And he's like, mama said that I was bad. And that's why you're leaving. You're excused. And then my baby sister climbs up my lap. My baby sister, she's five years old. She's so freaking cute with her big brown eyes. And she climbs up my lap with her knees on my lap so that she can look at my face. And she holds my face like this. And she's looking at me and she's looking at me and she's looking at me. And I'm like, what is happening? And she goes, Sissy, do you have demons? Oh, no. Excuse me? 
So I prayed to Jesus so you wouldn't have demons anymore and you would stay home with me. My baby girl. My baby girl. So I left. The next morning, I woke up in the morning. And all of my siblings had climbed into bed. So I had the littlest one that was still sleeping with me. And then the next one climbs in. And in the middle of the night, the boys came in and climbed into the foot of the bed. And at some point in the night, I woke up because I felt my hand being squeezed. And I had my, my arm was like over the side of the bed. And I looked down and Noah was on the floor. He had pulled a bunch of clothes out of my closet and had piled them on the floor next to the bed and was holding my hand so he could be close to me. And the next morning, my mom came in. I found out later that Mary Sue had spent the entire night on the phone with her, convincing her not to smother me in my sleep. So my siblings probably saved my life that night. So she woke me up, spent another hour yelling at me, which is always fun. And then I left home and I promised that I was going to come home in two weeks. I promised. I promised I was going to come home. And for two weeks, Noah slept by the door. He slept on the couch by the front door. And then he lost his memory. Because so I didn't come home. He just lost most of it. And he didn't get it back until he was almost a teenager, too. Like, he goes, I, I asked him at one point, I'm like, okay, so what was your next memory? Because there's a lot of abuse that happened. There was a lot of physical abuse that happened to you. There was a lot of emotional, verbal abuse. I don't know what else happened. Tell me what your next memory is from that. And he looks at me, and this was a few years back, so he's in his 30s by now. And he just looked at me with those big blue eyes. Still got those big blue eyes. And he looks at me with those big blue eyes, and he's like, sis, my next memory is looking up at the noose that I had just figured out how to make. Oh. I was 12. He was 12. So, yeah, there was. So, anyway, so I left home at 19, ran away from home, and promptly joined an inner city commune in Chicago. Because, you know. Because you, you've so, got that religion burnt into you now, that you think you're only safe within that community. You are correct. Very much so. And so uh, that was the most comfortable and also the most far away that I could get. And I knew, I just knew, if I went there, they would tell me if I was wrong. If I went there and they said, young lady, you need to honor your father and mother and go home and be the daughter they want you to be. I'd do it. I'd have done it. I'd have done it in a heartbeat. And I went there and they went, um, you're 19. You can pretty much do what you want. Um, you're an adult. You don't have to put up with that. Um, you can stay here. So seeing how I was homeless and they were right along the same religious um, wireframe that I was already comfortable in, it felt like an escape. It yeah. felt like freedom. Yeah. So and then I met someone there and got married there. I married a man much, 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 much older than me and um, proceeded to be very miserable for 10 years. You were with um, him for 10 years? I was with him for 10 years. Why? Yeah. 
I didn't think I was allowed to get divorced. Because of the cult uh, rules? Because of the religious, yeah, there, there's a lot of, um, in the, in the Judeo-Christian mindset, there tends to be a lot of looking down on people who get divorced. And so that was pretty much out of the question for us. Um, Unaliving myself though? was much more. I mean, how was hmm? he with you? Was he a good husband? Was he, he wasn't just a... boring and, and just didn't make you happy? He, he wasn't a bad guy. He was just, he had the maturity level of unbuttered toast. Oh. Just, I, I outgrew him. I like, I was 19 and he was 31 when we started dating. Wow. Yeah. Were you forced, so, were you forced to go together? Oh, no, 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 no. I wouldn't say that. No, this was this was a lust-induced brain freeze. He was in a rock band. I was 19 and he was in a rock band. <laughs> yes, gotcha. Lead singer, Same long old. hair. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, So that was one of those things that as a 19-year-old, had I had, had, if I had the opportunity to live that life again, would I have a fun experience with the lead singer of a rock band? Hell, yes. Would I marry him for 10 years? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> so, yeah. So, unaliving myself was more of an option than getting divorced. So, since I was considering the the suicide very seriously at the time, I had a very close friend who essentially saved my life. And in the commune. In, in, the, in the commune. And unfortunately, he was also married to one of my best friends. So we had an affair for about six months. And um, uh, and then I decided to leave. Uh, well, it essentially, it, we got caught. And so it was, uh, what are we mess. going to do about the situation? And it was mm -hmm. a big mess. And I was like, well, I'm not going to ask you to leave the community with your wife and your three children. I am very happy to be single. I am more than ready to get divorced. If that option is on the table, let's do it. I'm out. And so I ran away from home again. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna run away from home and you're gonna do it right, you gotta take your best friend with you. And my best friend in the whole world lived in Seattle. Now, in the commune, my husband's best friend is her brother, which is how I met her. But it turns out, if we found out, so we found out years, years, and years later. So we've been best friends for like 25 years now. We found out years and years and years later. I get a phone call from my grandmother. And she says to me, so this is interesting. I have two of my best friends who have a grandson who lives in this commune. And I'm like, okay, there's like 500 people here. That narrows it down. And she's like, no, seriously, it's, it's, it's Eric. And I'm like, wait, my Eric? Wait, Sarah's brother? So I go running upstairs and I'm like, you're never going to believe this. So it turns out, so then I get on the phone with his grandparents and his grandparents are like, so you were kidnapped. Whatever happened to you? 
They're like, we've been praying for you for 30 years, honey. Are you okay? (laughs) So that's how I met my best friend in the whole world. And she's actually one of the reasons this book got written. Because it, it really is kind of an intense and amazing story. And this is just a very rough overview of my life. Um, we had, we, we grew up on a farm in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains with fireflies in the backdrop, a huge barn. We had cows and goats and chickens, dogs, a myriad of cats. We had 24 cats when I left home. Oh, oh my, my God. Stink. 24 cats. It, my mother didn't believe in stopping anyone from breeding on the family in the farm. I don't. So there we go, which is another reason why we had all of them kids. So, um, and now I'm actually, so when I left home at, at 19, the first thing that my mother did was tell me that I wasn't allowed to have a relationship with my siblings at all. The letters that I sent would get ripped up and mailed back. She's got a hobby of doing this. She likes to change the phone number so I couldn't call and talk to them. Um, Christmas presents would be mailed back or they'd get the Christmas presents. Um, but she would say that she bought them. She bought them. So as far as they're concerned, you don't want anything to do with them. And she's instilled that into their minds that you don't love them and you don't want to see them again and that you're the bad person. Right. And when you're little, when you're a little person, you believe it. You believe it. So I didn't see my siblings for almost 20 years. Jeez. So it was 17 years later, and I got a phone call from my oldest brother's wife. My oldest brother is six foot three, big, hulking, redneck. And his wife is this teeny, teeny, tiny. Teeny, teeny, the teenex lady, long hair, hair comes almost down to her knees, and absolutely no Fs to give. She is just absolutely, and she called me, and she's like, this is ridiculous. Your siblings need to see you. You need to come home. Okay, let's make this happen. So she and my oldest brother came out here to visit, and then the next set of siblings came out to visit. And then eventually I went home and got to see all of them. And so all of the kids, so four boys, three girls, and me, all of us, none of us have a relationship with the parents. Like zero relationship with mama. When you get to that certain age, you know that everything that's happened to you, everything that's been told to you, everything that's been drummed into you was a lie, was wrong. When you get to a certain age, that's when you, it clicks that, no, that shouldn't have happened. Uh, That's wrong. What she said, it's a lie. So, yeah, I can imagine them just distancing themselves when they get to that age. Yep. So at the end of the day, the end of the day, I have a relationship with all of my siblings. I'm actually going down to visit North Carolina um, in just a few months. We're going to go down and visit, spend a week down there and visit with all the kids and the nieces and nephews. The nieces, the nephews, the nifflings, all of them. It's amazing. They're so cute. 
they've all they've all uh, married and and got children of their own now. We've got marriages. We've got kids. We've got some without kids. We've got some without marriages. We've got some just in relationships. Just all over the place, and it's it, but it's really cool. Like we've gotten to the point now where because of course. At first, there was a lot of the deep conversations where we had to do a lot of healing, you know, a lot of like, I understand that you left at 19 and this was traumatic for me and it wasn't your fault and that's okay, but I still have to deal with the fact that it was traumatic for me. Yeah. You know, and then for me, like grandpa said, my grandpa said one of the first times I met him again after almost 20 years, um, he goes... I'm just sitting here looking at you and I'm so excited to be a part of your life now. But there's a little girl that I'm never going to see again. And I'm just realizing that I have to mourn that, you know, and it's the same with, it's the same thing with my siblings. Like, I mean, I, I found Judah under the Christmas tree. Noah, Noah was my baby. My big blue eyed baby because all the boys, all the kids have brown eyes like me. All of us have dark hair, dark eyes, dark hair, dark eyes, dark hair, dark eyes, except for, except for Noah. Noah. Blonde hair, blue eyes. Freaking adorable. I wonder who his daddy was. <laughs> right? That's what everybody said. He goes, he goes, I'm just a Kmart special. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> he was so cute. But there's just, there's a part of me that's always going to be mourning the loss of that little person that I lost. And at the end, at the end of the day, my mother's goal was to make it so that each of us, each me and my siblings were alone, that we were alone. And at the end of the day, we have each other. And she doesn't have anybody. She doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's, um. A beautiful ending to a absolutely horrific and tragic uh, tale. Hey folks, you're listening to the podcast Behind the Pen. Behind the Pen brings you fun and entertaining interviews by amazing creatives. And if you'd like to help keep the podcast going, you can donate as little as $5 on my Linktree page. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Karina Gantus or small letters. Don't forget to follow, like, and review the podcast. Your support means everything. Why? Why wasn't when when she kidnapped and and when the it was, the abuse was on record and everything? Why was she never arrested? Why was she never put inside? So she actually went to jail. She was in jail for three days. <laughs> Wow. Uh-huh. Big one. And the judge let her out because she was a part of the Lilechi League, which oh. is a pro-nursing organization. And they wrote letters. Her pastor wrote letters. Several of the um, women in three wrote letters. She was, she was a letters. smart cookie, that, that woman. Evil, oh, yeah. but very, very smart. Yep. If she had her, if she had her crap together, um, she'd be a lot more dangerous. Yeah. I've seen her talk people out of their cars. It's amazing. People will literally hand her houses. (laughs) Just houses. 
one of the houses that's in the book, she actually, um, huge three-story mansion overlooking a river in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains, a three-story mansion with gold-plated mirrors and red velvet carpeting. One of the first homes to have an in-house elevator <laughs> from like the 1920s, right? <laughs> so we moved into this house with not one, not two, not three, but seven kids moved into this house where my mother promised them that she was going to open a home for unwed mothers. She did about $100,000 worth of damage and we had to be evicted. And they lost the house. I called and spoke to the lady who owned the house um, more than 20 years after the fact and was like, so what I understood was that you guys did the, all of these horrible things to get us kicked out. What happened? And she's like, your mother did $100,000 worth of damage to the property that we were using to open a home for unwed mothers. Like, we couldn't hold church on this property anymore. She destroyed the kitchen. She randomly repainted wood throughout the house. Like, it's ridic it was ridiculous. So, and she, she and the garbage. She deliberately destroyed it. She, delib she deliberately destroyed it, yeah. Mm-hmm, yep. And she's a hoarder, so that doesn't help either. So yeah, three she spent days. three days in jail and they let her out because she was a nursing mother and needed to nurse. So here's the side effect of that. That child who, so she was pregnant. She, um, she got out of jail, got pregnant, nursed until she was nine months pregnant. And that child was almost five because she had five years probation and was afraid that they were going to take her back to jail if she wasn't nursing. So she oh. kept the baby nursing until she could start nursing another baby. Oh my gosh, mental, mm -hmm. mental. Yes, and if you ask this particular brother about that particular situation, he is still uh, traumatized. It's remarkable that uh, you had the strength, all of you, even though you, you got to that uh, stage where you just wanted to give up and, and, and commit suicide, even when he, the last thing he remembers was the noose that he was going to use. You all got to that stage and yet something stopped you from doing. And because of that, that gave you strength to get through this trauma and, and to once you were were reunited and and was able to just hug and and get everything out everything all those years of of you know what happened and what you went through and how much you missed one another and and saying you know the truth of the matter was not what she said but this is what happened right that's... And one of the things that's in the book is at the beginning of each chapter, you'll notice that there's a, a letter, a postcard, um, an article, um, a notice from the judge, all of those things, a letter from the parole officers, all of those things. I put as much of it into the book as I could, because while there's some of it that I did have to take creative license on, like do I know the experience of my, my mother when she got pregnant with me? Probably not. 
but I can take a little bit of creative license. And I have all the letters that she wrote when she was pregnant. So I have that to lean on. I have the court documents to lean on. I have the photographs and the notes and the letters and my grandmother's journals. I have all of those. I'm looking at them. They're in a big pile in my closet. And they're all organized. They're all dated. They are all in, parts of them are in this book. And we had to downsize it immensely because otherwise the book, it would, it would just be a series. Books. We'd be here yeah, for 10 years. Exactly. It would have gone on and on and on if you'd, got so detailed about um the uh the evidence uh, of what what happened having the evidence having that proof uh, i mean how long did it take you to gather everything and and to to get your mindset to go back down those dark and and terrifying times in your life uh, how long from from doing all that from deciding you were going to do that memoir to to getting everything ready to getting into that mindset how long did that take you jesse 25 years it took me 25 years of i would start writing and i'd be like okay, I remember the kidnapping exactly. I'm going to write that story down. And I would write it down. And then I would get on the phone with my grandmother and I would be like, what do you mean that's not how it happened? What do you mean you guys, oh, you went for a walk to the mailbox. I didn't know why you had left. So add that into the story. Oh, I didn't realize that, you know, Mary Sue was a part of Weba at that time. Okay, add that to the story. Oh, I have this information wrong. I thought that we were violently kicked out of the Lyle Down house. No, 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 no. We destroyed that house and they evicted us. Like there's just, just those little things throughout my life where the story and even, even Mary Sue was the bad guy and part of the story and also the hero in another part of the story mm -hmm. and trying to get that and, and to integrate that into the character development. Mm -hmm. So challenging, so challenging, but yeah, 25 years. 25 years of research and then imagine. timelines yeah how many times did you get it from your computer and walk away i've had to i've had to uh, you always put a part of yourself i've done 14 books and there's always a part of me in my books and i've delved into um the the abuse that i've been through um the bullying the, the physical and mental bullying at school uh, and all the dark times and having to go into it uh, get closure from it by writing about it that's definitely therapeutic but to actually have to go back to that time and live it relive it again it's uh it's 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 so hard because you get into that dark mindset and it's hard to get back out of it and get back to reality because you've gone yeah. so far back into your memory. It, you, you get you get lows that you need a ladder to climb out of. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's definitely that that part of it is totally a challenge. I find that I'm actually a better writer when I can get into that space like my writing just pours out of me That's and cool. it pours out of me. 
in in the, the negative as well as the positive. Mm -hmm. So I can tell the good stories as well as the bad stories, but I've got to mm -hmm. be in that headspace to be able yeah. to do it. Um, and then like there were a lot of times where I would actually call my bestie and be like, okay, I need to write a story about Gummich the cat. And I've got no vibe. I need some help. And she's like, okay, let me tell you the story of Gummidge the cat. And then, and then you tell it back to me. And so we would go back and forth like this. And I'd be like, okay, now I can write the story of Gummidge the cat, this wonderful, big, fat monster of a cat that my mother adored. And all of us kids hated, but he ran that house. He ran the farm. He ran the dogs. He ran Papa. <laughs> you, you can tell the extension to your mother. You know, like some of those Very fantasies much. where they yes. have that creature beside them, which is part of them. That's what that yes. was. I can't remember what they call them. Uh, oh, um, uh, uh, demons from uh, Golden Compass. Bingo. Bingo. Yes. yes. That's exact. Gummidge was totally her familiar. Familiar. And that's the word I was looking for. Yes. She, wow. we would, we would every night it would be like, okay, cats out bedtime. And everybody would jump. All the kids would jump because whoever was the slowest had to pick up gummage. So we'd run to get all the cats and get them out of the house before bedtime. Why we threw the cats out at bedtime beyond me, but here we go. So we threw the cats out at bedtime. So you pick up gummage and he weighed like 30 pounds. Oh, and when you're a little kid, that is freaking heavy. And so you pick this cat up and hold him over your shoulder like this and you'd be carrying him to the door and he'd lunge over your face and put his claws into your head yeah. and bite your head so you couldn't see any of the blood and you and of course you have fur in your face you're like <laughs> so the cat got gummage got thrown through the door more often than he got put yeah. out I should think so. Kick it, right? Kick his butt. Yeah, literally kick his ass out of the house. <laughs> Especially when she's not around and she can't see. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because Gummidge was definitely her familiar. Your, your only outlet of, of, of letting it out is on the yes. back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. So, what is your memoir called, Jesse? Girl Hidden. Mm -hmm. And it's available on Amazon. It's also available as an audiobook and Kindle. Who did the audio? Uh, Lesa Lamb. She is an incredible audio artist. And she did a wonder, like, I was in awe of the way that she captured the little southern accents for all of the siblings. It just mm -hmm. made me cry. It was so precious. And there are some moments in the book that are triggering so i put yeah. a trigger warning at the beginning of the book this has got some really dark oh, most lines of, in it i mean i'm i'm totally against trigger warnings but that's because when i write my my novels the blurb the cover it tells people what they're going to get you know yes. so i don't need to put that trigger warning but with your book with with your story that definitely needs a, a, a trigger warning yeah i try to have like there's there's enough, I mean, there's enough fun stories in there. And, you know, my mm -hmm. first, the first boy that asked me out and, you know, the cow that committed suicide by hanging herself from a tree and the <laughs> horses that got out and 
ran through the yard and played in the snow. And, you know, I mean, there's just, there's just some mat, there's magical things that happen. So my mm -hmm. childhood wasn't, wasn't all bad. It really wasn't. And my siblings and I managed to find magic in all of, all of the this spaces is, where we were. This is why, this is why you're here. This is why they're still here. It's yes. because, it's because you found that tiny bit of magic that you could hold on to and that yes. brightened up your your day just for maybe an hour and uh, two hours whatever but it made a whole difference because of of the other side of your life having that um fun time when you played having running around the farm whatever kicking the cat Mm -hmm. but you know it, it's it's uh things like that that uh keep the good memories uh inside the goodness yeah um, that you you don't it's not all darkness and you can you can survive this you can um uh, get over i don't think get over it but you i know you must have uh had a lot of closure once you finally got the story out how do you feel now um writing a book feels so i i don't have any children of my own but i would imagine that writing a book feels like giving birth it does. because it was such an incredible relief and release when it was finally done Good. um when you held it, it in felt hands when I held oh, it in my hands, indeed. it felt like, oh, it felt like magic. Oh, it felt like magic. It was awesome. 25 years of work and it was finally done. Yeah. And of course, you know, you go through it and you're like, hmm, I probably could have written that better a <laughs> hundred times. Look, no matter what you like, I, I, I rewrote that story 10 times. It's done. You send it out and you're like, okay, that one sentence, I probably could have done that differently. <laughs> huh? What did your Terrible. siblings think about the book? I mean, they've read it. They know about it. They're okay with you writing about it. So they're okay with me writing about it. They know about it. They have not read it. Okay. Um, it's it's one of those it's where it's like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that I really want to relive those traumas. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. It's not like yeah. them writing it themselves and getting closure from it. It's If they read it, it would open up old wounds, basically, and... Yeah. yeah, I can understand that. And wow. actually, it's really so, interesting. I've had a couple of people that have come to me that have specifically said, like, uh, one of my friends actually read the book and came back to me and was like, yeah, I have a half a dozen memories that I didn't have before I read this book that all of a sudden I'm getting all of these flashbacks. Wow. And he's, he started therapy. Wow. Like, there's some there's some good there's some good stuff that's come from this like it's my story and it's it's healing so for me to have that story out there but yes so people can relate to it so many people have been maybe not in the same exact situation but know what you went through because they've went through it themselves and reading the book is is going to like you said um maybe okay bring back memories that they they put in the back and suppressed and suddenly yes. they're remembering them but suppressing memories is not a good thing anyway so story. them having it and remembering them and then working on it and and getting therapy for it and being becoming new be becoming one again you know 
Yeah, the integration of self is such a big deal. It's so incredibly important. I agree. Yeah. I remember when I read uh, A Boy Called It, a um, very disturbing book. And yes. as I was reading it, I saw flashes of me and my mother. And I was like, <sighs> I didn't realize that what happened was abuse. Oh, honey. And that really, uh, I would never read the book again, but it opened my eyes to a lot of things. And it also, um, those suppressed memories. I, mean, I don't remember a lot of my childhood. My mum my and dad were married one time. They got divorced one time. What happened in between that? I don't remember. Right. I have one memory of jumping up on the, bouncing on the bed in my, my uh, ballerina costume and uh, saying I didn't want to go ballet anymore. That is oh. the one memory that I have from you? my childhood. I think I was about four or five. That's adorable. I really, but, but like you said, you don't realize that you've blocked. You, now that you've said, see, it's coming back to me now. Now that you've said that you woke up and you lost all those memories, yeah. I lost my childhood. I don't know why. I don't know if it was because something happened. Um, because I know it wasn't a happy marriage i know it wasn't a happy divorce mm -hmm. um but i don't remember any of that and um, wow. if if i'm just talking with you and remembering this then i can only imagine how many people that read the book are going to be not triggered in a bad way because like i said if yeah. you suppress these memories if you can get them back then you, you're you're becoming whole again. Yes, um, and that's really interesting that you said that about the boy, a boy called it because I've actually had one of the reviews that I got was specifically if you liked a boy called it. This is this is this a great is book the to next read. Like book to read. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and I I can't. Oh my God, it's so flattered. Wow. So um, let me ask you, um, is it self-published or did you find a uh, publisher? Have you got a contract? I did, did self-published. Well done. Thank Congratulations. you. Congratulations. Thank you. It was quite the experience. I think I would rather write a book than publish a book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, writing the book is the, well, we say writing the book is the easy part, but with your situation, I wouldn't say that was the easy part. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> marketing and promoting your own work and and getting your name out there and getting that book out there to the right people takes a lot of time uh a lot yes. of effort especially if you're on your own doing it um i know that because i work with authors for the last uh what we now 20 last seven years with author wow. assist helping them in the same situation i was 28 years ago holding that book thinking well what do i do now <laughs> what do I do now? I did the thing. Now what? Very much. So, so when did your book come out, Jesse? December 3rd. This year? Uh, last uh, this year. last year, yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was quite the adventure. 
it was quite the adventure getting it published and getting it out in the world. And we sold a bunch of copies and it was really fun. And then I did my first podcast. Uh, at the same time, we had the audiobook. The audiobook came out three weeks ago, I think. Oh, wow. And yeah, so it's brand new. It just barely came out. And it's been it's been flying off the digital shelves. Like it's been a lot of fun watching that happen. Wonderful, wonderful. Do you have a team helping you with your marketing of, it's, of your book? No, ma'am. It is just me. Wow. Well, you're doing something right. Um, Thank you. It's uh, It's been eye-opening. It's been enlightening. It's been uh, amazing listening to your story. Um, I'm in awe of you. Um, how you... Thank you, Heidi. Were, ...were able to get through... I'm in awe of your siblings. How all of you were able to get through all of that. Uh, stay sane. Yeah. Um, Except, of course, uh, with the cult situation and, and being pushed into that religion and, and honestly believing everything you were told because that's the way you've been brought up. How, how are you now with that? Do you still, do you still not preach it, but do you still um, do anything with the religion? Do you, are you a religious person or is it just totally gone from you? I consider myself a spiritual person. I feel mm -hmm. like there's more out there than we know, mm -hmm. but I do not subscribe to any particular religion. Gotcha. But um, knowing uh, the way that uh, she brought you up concerning the religion and her being in all these uh, groups that uh, saved her and, and didn't give a damn about the kids, um, she's absolutely disgraceful um and then and then staying all those years with the commune and and living those and under rules i mean you you're living it with mm -hmm. rules like you said you were scared to get divorced you would rather kill yourself than get divorced i mean that is just that's ridiculous it's, to, to have that mentality to have that yeah. drummed into you I mean, how do you step away from that? How do you um, brush that all away and then just try and and believe what you want to believe? I mean, how hard was that to, to step away? Oh, my God. Years of deconstruction. So much deconstruction. Because it built in from the time I was an infant, you know. Um, and so all the way down to from how you act to what you wear to thought crimes, to um, considerations for uh, who you're going to marry and where you're going to live. And like, like all of that was like set in stone for me from the time I was born. I was even betrothed at one point. Oh like, my gosh. Come on. So I, I think that the, the, for me, the deconstruction started with, um, the rights for gay people in the United States to get married. And that's where the deconstruction started for me is I literally sat down with my pastor and went, wait a minute, why aren't gay people allowed to get married? And he's like, well, because Jesus. And I'm like, but that doesn't make any sense. Show me in this wonderful book where it says gay people can't get married. And I got nothing. And so I went to the next person that I trusted and got the same thing. And I went to the next person. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. If you guys are making up stuff about this, 
What else are you fooling me on? Because I've spent a good deal of my life being told that this thing is right and that thing is right. And then realizing that it's not. Even in little things, like my mother used to say, oh, God. My mother used to say that God made babies cute so we didn't drown them like puppies. Oh, my gosh. And I thought that was hilarious. And I remember repeated that for years i just thought that was the funniest thing in the whole world and finally my best friend looks over at me and she goes jesse who in the hell is drowning a puppy what is wrong with you uh, oh uh, uh, oh oh yep wow. so just even the little like little things throughout like life where you just go wait a minute i need to reassess how i think in this area yeah you, you so are definitely so strong for 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 everything you've been through and getting over it but with that on top of everything else having to step away from that and having to um like you said deconstruct and find out what is real and what isn't you've got to be such a strong person in your your heart your soul your mind to be able to to uh, do that and, and get through all that and uh, you and your siblings i mean wow it's just it's just um absolutely remarkable um your story uh you are amazing um i can't thank you enough for coming on the show and uh sharing um this uh this uh terrifying uh story um your your memoir your life story because it's not just what happened to you as an infant where it all started everything just it it was like a path you were following and and it wasn't until you escaped to seattle with your best friend that yeah you started living a, a, a real life yep that's when my life started. That's when my life started. And since then, I have I've gone back to school. I have an education. I am the first in my in my family to have a formal education. We were all homeschooled, so we didn't even get a basic yeah. education. Like yeah. my yeah. littlest sister barely knows how to read, you know. Mm-hmm. Um so we I went to school, got an education. I own my own company. I am oh, my wow. Thank you. I met my current husband. We go dancing. Um, he has four kids. So now I have four kids and four grandbabies. And oh, um, wow. my, I spend a lot of time in my garden and with my cats. Like my life is, and of course with, with my bestie. So my life is, has landed in a very, in a very happy place right now, which yeah, is why it's... I, which is why I feel like the book ended where it ended. It, it, it needed to have an ending, but it needed to end when I wasn't living in a commune, when I wasn't um, still when trapped with my parents. When you were starting your life, when you were on the right path. Yes. That's that's when the book ends. That's when it ends. But you, you I mean, you, you still have the rest of your life now and you don't have to write about it, but you, you, you're starting this next stage um, yes. of of you you're starting again yeah from, from the this, beginning it's and this the, next the, chapter is going to be slamming it, well, th- that's it it should do you brace life enjoy every moment of it um 
don't take life for granted um don't let the little things upset you because life is yes short um just um get up in the morning look in the mirror smile say it's going to be a bloody good day today <laughs> yes um jesse <sighs> i wish you all the best with the book and the audio book i hope that uh, people listening to this and watching um the youtube or uh, listening to the podcast go out and buy the book um you you've been so brave to write it you've been so brave to talk about Thank it you. with me i really appreciate the time uh you've given me and um your honesty and how uh, affront you've been with with everything that happened and um all i can say is uh, god bless god bless you Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Totally.